Hey folks, this is Anatoly, and you're listening to the Solana Podcast. And today I have George with me, who is one of the co-founders of SEP Finance. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love for you to like kind of introduce yourself and uh, let folks know how you got into crypto and, and blockchain. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, I mean, I've kind of been in crypto for a bit over 10 years now. Um, so checking crypto and building companies in this space and all this kind of stuff. It's been kind of every day of my life for the last 10 years. So yeah, early Bitcoin miner, first with that ASICs, uh, was one of the first batches of those, was first batch FPGAs. It was 1% of the Bitcoin hash rate at some stage. And that's sort of how I got into it was, you know, when Bitcoin was just a, a website for a bunch of nerds on the internet, there was no uh, anything really. There was a Bitcoin.org website, an IRC chat, and that's about it. But uh, it sort of piqued my interest because I was interested in electronics engineering at the time. So, so yeah, I got into it just uh, just mining and building stuff in my room, uh, you know, GPU sort of jerry-rigged setups and so on. And, uh, yeah, essentially in 2014, I decided to move to Hong Kong, started a crypto remittance company, was the first crypto remittance company called Bitspark. We operated in about six different countries, sending money around the world using crypto, faster, cheaper, and so on. And uh, yeah, I think sort of through that journey led me to where we're currently at in Solana and what we're doing at Step Finance. I got together a team of a couple of friends of mine who I've known again for years, have also been in crypto for quite a while. And we thought, you know what, one of the things that's really missing in, in the DeFi ecosystem is a, a DCA sort of contract. That's how we got started was just building a DCA contract. Wasn't possible on Ethereum, way too expensive, not really that scalable. We looked at Solana, we entered the hackathon, just bet in the hackathon. I think that was great earlier this year. And uh, yeah, essentially from there, we decided that, you you know what, the DCA is, is good, but what Solana is really lacking is one sort of place to bring everything together, right? So it's like all of your positions in one spot where you can visualize everything. It's not like, oh, can you like go check on this random website over here where your money's at? And I don't even know what's happening with that money because it's like not linked in in one place to the the other money over here and a different LP. So yeah, just bringing everything together in in one place. And that's sort of where we're at with Step now is is being this this portfolio manager and, and aggregator across the Solana ecosystem. That's awesome. That's cool that you got into this just reminding. I think people really forget how janky everything was and how weird it was to even like start doing that. I I remember looking at Bitcoin when it was pretty early days. There's still people mining with CPUs and I was like, I'm a firmware engineer. I can build an FPGA for this. And then like immediately there was an FPGA out and yep. somebody announced an ASIC. And uh, the hilarious thing was that they delayed shipping the ASIC to customers so they could mine it first. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I flew to uh, Kansas City to actually go and see them building it. Because, um, yeah, it was like, it was delayed six months and so on and that sort of thing, right? So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I took out a loan to buy that thing, which I couldn't afford. I was a student at the time. I was working just a crappy job, um, you know, sort of doing a degree on the side. But I took out a loan, like whatever the max the bank would give me. And I think it was like 20K at the time. I'm just like, put it into mining. Six month delay. Um, but eventually it, it paid itself off, which is all good. <laughs> yeah, that, that was such a, that was like the least worst scam in all of crypto history. <laughs> of all the scams that came after, those, those guys actually built hardware. They just like needed 
needed some cash flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, it could have been great. They could have made something of it. Yeah. Uh, it could have been a great company in the ecosystem, but yeah. Hey, sometimes it doesn't go that way. Yeah. It like really, uh, I think in my mind, like really made me understand what crypto was. It was this like weird wild west, free for all of, of people building everything they can think of. Um, and I, I find that like it's the most exciting part of the space is that like anything is possible that <laughs> you can, you can kind of like have these wild ideas and, and go out and do them. Yeah. When you guys kind of started building out like this idea for sub finance, are you thinking about like solving like today's problems that, you know, all this stuff is extremely awkward or do you imagine like a world where DeFi is finance? Like the, we're, we're no longer ta- calling it DeFi. It's just called finance. Yeah. So I, think about this quite a lot, right? And I think I often say that I'm most excited about crypto now uh, than I have in, you know, since my early mining days. Like back in the early days, it was like, wow, this thing's whole, it's new. It's got so much potential. Like, you know, we can go uh, a long way from here. And I think it's it, that sort of matured over the years of, okay, there's this thing called Bitcoin. You can use it to pay for stuff. Okay, you know, it's a coin and you can trade it and it's another currency. But I think when we're talking about DeFi, like you're actually talking about a lot more than that. You're talking about a whole financial system. And I can't see myself going back to the old ways of an old financial system. Like every time I use a bank, I just get mad. It's just annoying. It's terrible to use. Like right now I have some bank who's asking me for an MT103. That's like a trace uh, using the SWIFT network that costs 50 bucks. Like all of this would be so much simpler if banks just had a TX ID, right? Um, so in the DeFi world, like just problems of sending people money or getting a loan or any of these things are just so much like infinitely simpler and better and cheaper and, uh, you know, more transparent and so on. So I don't really see a world where we go back to the way things were. I think we only go forward. Uh, DeFi only continues to grow. And yeah, maybe it's not called like decentralized finance. There's probably going to be people that, you know, slap a logo on top and a, a pretty app and stuff and and make it usable for the masses. And that's fine. But the point is that the underlying infrastructure is a quantum leap for, you know, whatever the traditional, uh, you know, system is using. And I'm pretty excited about that whole, whole setup. Yeah, me too. I, I think it's almost like a necessity. There's just no way that government like run bureaucracies can keep up with how big the finance world is getting. Like it's almost like the 2008 crisis was like, there's no way for them to analyze all the data. And like DeFi seems like a necessity in the sense that you can actually sandbox the risks and protocols, right? You have borrow lending with clear like risk factors, like that everybody can compute. It really seems like uh, if you didn't have that, like you're just going to have these crazy like traders, you know, like that guy from a family office that took up 50 billion in leverage, <laughs> like lost yeah. it all in one day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, talk about what is a Shiba token is like, everybody knows what it is, yeah. right? <laughs> like, we don't have to pretend. Well, I think the legacy system is like just getting memed to death. Like you mentioned Shiba token, right? Like yeah. everyone's just buying like dog coins and whatever they can find because they know that the whole system's kind of a bit nonsense. So pff, yeah. might as well just go and buy a dog coin, right? <laughs> and see if you can make some money while you're at it, right? So I, I think we're in that transition phase where people are sort of realizing that, eh, you know what, like I'm not going to be 
logging onto my bank and then not working between the hours of 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. and not being available for two days a week and, you know, taking a week to send someone money. Like that's just a fundamentally bad system. And I think everyone agrees. So it's just a matter of time, I think. Yeah, totally. This was like maybe six months ago. I was in a chat with Andre and he kind of referred himself as level three developer that he's not working on the core protocols. He's just trying to make applications for humans that really try to like make it easy to do all this stuff. And I thought that was enormous sign of maturity of the space that we're like past the point of people trying to do all this like low level, like geeky stuff. They still are, right? There's still a big pile of innovation there. Do you kind of see yourself at that point? Like you guys are like actually building products for humans? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, you know, I wouldn't compare myself or us to Andre, but certainly like building products for humans, I think is is important. But at, on the other hand, like I also think that people will will get there. So there's sort of two approaches, right? There's a lot of people that are building it, very geeky products, you know, tech people, high barrier to entry. You've got to understand crypto. I used to think that that was a, a bad model or at least something that couldn't gain enough traction. But I think over the last, say, year or two, crypto has gained so much traction. There's so many users that are just using it natively that it's actually okay for that to be your target audience. Um, so I think you can build a viable business just based on people that are in crypto. I mean, it's, I don't know, like 50 million, 60 million. Last time I heard a number of people that are like natively in crypto, that's only going to grow and, and go up. But yeah, having said that, there certainly will be a place for these portals into and out of the system. I spent a lot of years solving the fiat problem with remittances, right? So sending money in and out for countries in the world that don't have a viable banking system. So like if you're in Indonesia and you're in a, you know, a small village, like, you know, you're not using DeFi to do stuff. So you've got to use some sort of portal in, to get into and out of this system. So I think people will be using these portals. Um, and yeah, I think they probably will be on the edge of the infrastructure divide between like the DeFi systems and the TradFi systems. And there's probably a lot of value to be had there. But ultimately, I think everyone will just start doing stuff in DeFi if you can. Like if you can, you will. Yeah, the, the 50, 60 million number is really interesting. I remember the internet was like around, around 40 million in 1996. That's when I started using it. I was like, log, you know, AOL basically like... <laughs> And uh, I thought it was really, really like exciting when a few years later, when you started getting to like 150 million people, you saw things like Six Degrees, like MySpace, like, and those rapidly built on top of each other until you had Facebook. And, and like those, those applications that connect massive numbers of people are, I think are coming in crypto and pretty excited what that'll look like. I think that's when we'll start seeing the inflection point of going from, it's not DeFi, it's just finance, right? There's like the Ave Bank has a trillion under management <laughs> yep. and running on Solana, I hope, but <laughs> we'll see. Exactly. Like to, to segue Solana in there, um, I think uh, in many countries of the world and probably the majority of the world's population, fees are a big problem. So like having something that's scalable and cheap is really important. And also the local currencies, there's 180 different countries in the world. Most of them have their own different currencies and they're all terrible. Um, none of them really hold value. So like if you're in, you know, Nigeria, you don't really want Naira. If you're in Ghana, you don't want SETIs. This is not a long-term play. Everyone knows it's kind of a nonsense thing. So I think people want to get into a system where 
they can, you know, not only the stored value sort of narrative, but be able to do stuff that, you know, they couldn't otherwise because they were geographically limited. And I think, you know, you've got to have a a system kind of like what Solana is doing, low cost, fast, to be able to reach that point. Like these people are not going to be paying $80 in Uniswap fees to swap a coin on Ethereum. So there's got to be some sort of solution there to bridge the gap. And that's why I think the rise of these, you know, DeFi chains in, in the last sort of year has been really good for the system. Like there's just... There's just more products. There's more people building stuff and that's good. And that gets more humans into the system. And yeah, I think, you know, there's obviously Solana's a, you know, a, a great use case. But yeah, just the more people using DeFi, the better. Um, wherever they happen to come in from. So yeah. Do you think do you think people will trust uh do you think people trust Bitcoin to the level more so than their local currencies already? I think so, yeah. I think I'll, I'll give you an example. Like a couple of years ago. I was invited to Tajikistan with the UN and I was part of, you know, what we were doing at Bitspark at the time. But in that country, two banks collapsed and everyone lost their money. And that was within like the last five years. So like if you were in that country, like your opinion of the financial system is like you, you have no opinion of the financial system. They just lose you the money. Um, people use taxi drivers and bags of cash to send it around. So I think that... Um, like it, it's very geographical you know, specific, but most of these people will be digital natives. They will look at something like crypto as the solution to this financial problem of storing their money. Maybe they think they get into Bitcoin and they look at the stored value narrative and that's great, cool, whatever. But I think fundamentally, if you need to transact, you're probably going to look at some sort of DeFi solution. Maybe it's a stable coin that you want to want to use or get a loan in or something like that. So there's just fundamentally way more options and yeah it's it's much better than being geographically bound to whatever horrible sort of fiat system you're currently in (laughs) are people looking for are are they afraid of like the bitcoin volatility is that a thing or are people like actually like fully committed to believing that even if there's short-term volatility that it's the future i think people certainly are are weary of volatility like the thing is like we all it when we talk about volatility, volatility compared with what? Reference to what? That's the question to ask, right? So if you re- reference it to USD, then sure, like uh, it can be quite volatile. If you reference like people, the old adage of, oh, one Bitcoin's always one Bitcoin. It's like, cool. When people start thinking that way, then it won't matter. But right now it does matter and people still reference it to paying the rent in their local currency. So I think as long as people are still paying the rent in their local currency, volatility will be a thing. People will be concerned about it and it's always going to be there. But we might reach a point, an inflection point in the world, like where it it, it becomes like if 5% of your GDP is using crypto, it's kind of a small problem and then maybe 10% and then maybe 15%. At what point in time do the scales tip and everyone just goes, well, might as well just go all in on this crypto thing because everyone's it's just a fundamentally better way you've got a mobile app maybe from from one country or currency that's limiting and then you've got this whole DeFi ecosystem which is unlimited Uh, so what are you going to choose so i think that yeah are we going to get to a point where it goes from like five percent of gdp to fifty percent of gdp like is it ever going to go back to one percent i don't know i don't really see it going backwards i only see it really going forwards um yeah and uh, i think that's that's going to be good for the world yeah yeah, I, it really feels like 
it's only going to go forwards at this point. You know, I don't, I don't know when the growth is going to slow down, maybe at the 50 percentile. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one thought that I, I kind of, I've been curious is, are, are you guys thinking of like a future where you're like a neobank, like that there's like built pay and like consumer banking services and sub finance? Like, it, is that part of, part of the vision? No, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've had to look that well, to be honest. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, as well. So it's just like there is a lot of moving pieces and often the moving pieces are terrible to manage yeah. and they're very disparate. Like there's no API for banking, right? Like like I use the example of Indonesia, yeah. 80% of the population don't have a bank account. Okay, cool. How are you going to reach them? Okay, well, you need a cash in, cash out endpoint. What are they using? 7-Eleven equivalent? Okay, does 7-Eleven have an API? No, they don't. Even if they do, it's terrible. So it's like there's, there's you have to do a lot of work to try and solve this problem. And I think it's better for us at Step to just be focusing on like, okay, people will be out there providing these portals into and out of this world, right? And once you're in this world, then, hey, we're happy to be that portal for you and tell you, you know, you know what's happening and, and link you to all the different projects and aggregate and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, sort of solving that piece of in and out, happy to partner with people, you know, that are solving the problem. But we certainly don't want to dip our hands into getting involved in all of that space because it can get messy pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it, it is like, like you said, it, it is extremely a bunch of annoying problems that are really hard to scale. Like it, it's hard for like a small team to go solve them all. I don't know if it's like such a huge barrier to adoption yet. I think like you said, people that are really interested in crypto, they'll find a way to get into it. And once they're in, they're in. Yeah. And it's almost like if they weren't interested in it, it doesn't matter how low the barrier to entry would be. They're not going to jump in anyway. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a point where people don't need to like, quote, be interested in crypto to get in. Like I see some of these DeFi protocols that just focus on the lending and they're like, hey, we're just a savings account and that's it. We just give you X percent in US dollar coins. And that's like a really easy value proposition for people to understand. You don't have to think too hard. You don't have to think about collateralizing loans and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think that it will just branch out into lots of different specializations. Some people will solve the simple problems. Some people will tackle the hard problems. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> what is your vision for like step finance in, in the next five years? Like kind of the, where do you guys want to see yourself? Yeah. So, you know, we started step as well for the hackathon. It was a, originally the concept was a DCA contract, right? So it was a place where you put your money and uh, you can buy crypto over some set time period. We branched beyond that being this, this platform where everyone can visualize not only, you know, their, investments, but also we want to integrate with all of these other projects um, and be able to have it all there in one place. But what we also talk a lot about is the aggregation piece, the uh, analysis piece as well. So in the case of Solana, there's a lot of disparate components, right? There's like three different AMMs. They're not connected together. Even within the AMMs, the liquidity pools are not really connected together via a router. You know, there's a lot of small little problems um, which we think that we can at least help to to resolve there in terms of, you know, maybe being this aggregation layer across the Solana ecosystem for people swapping or people yield farming. Um, you know, I really appreciate you mentioned Andre before, like what what Yearn has been doing um, in the yield farming space, and like I think that's a that's a space as well for investment. You know, it's people want to put their money somewhere, they want to get a number APY out 
and that's it. And they want to kind of forget about it. Um, so, you know, yield farming and, and aggregation, I think is another play for us. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, there's a couple of these different value accrual mechanisms, which we're looking to, to add to step. And, and our vision is well, firstly, we've got to be that place that has the user attention. I think of step a lot as monetizing user attention. So we all have these tabs, which we look at every day, like uh, CoinGecko, uh, you know, everyone uses their MetaMask on Ethereum every day. They're these places, these, these things which you use every day and that they always have user attention. We want Step to be that place and we see that as hugely valuable. Um, so like if you're always, uh, you know, checking Step or, or uh, managing your portfolio via Step, that is great. That's the position we want to be in. So I think success for us means that are we doing that? And are we, uh, are we the place that people want to be? And are we keeping everyone's attention? If we're not, then we've got work to do. If we are, then great, let's keep doing it. So yeah, I think for us at, at Step, it's the aggregation play, it's the visualization play, the portfolio management. But uh, yeah, it's just being that place that has people's attention. And you have people's attention if you're doing useful stuff for them. So we've got to do useful stuff for people, otherwise we won't have their attention. So um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of, things baked into that but that's the general overview that's awesome the use case i think is is like one that i really like because it is at that like human level <laughs> that we, we don't have to like uh innovate at, at some at like the finance side or you know even the layer one side but it ties things together one of the things that i really care about is this like this idea of censorship resistance and and like how DeFi can enable it um, just wondering what you guys think about like layer ones and like what what is the function of these systems like in your mind like what are what are we supposed to do for you? Yeah, well, I think DeFi isn't DeFi unless it has censorship resistance, right? So now I used to think that it was a binary question: is it decentralized or is it not? And people will then go, okay, well, how do we measure decentralization? And then they'll, they'll spout about proof of work and mining pools. And then somebody will say, well, three pools have 51%. And people go, no, the miners can control, you know, all the node operators. So I think now I actually think that decentralization is probably more on a spectrum. And it's, there's a lot of different ways that you can think about decentralization. But the fundamental principle, I think, is that somebody can't, control your money for you and they can't make decisions for you. I think if it is the case where someone can make a decision that can control your money or account or, or wallet or something like that, then I would say that that is centralization um, and we need to steer away from that. So, yeah, I think that, you know, censorship resistant for L1s, there's probably only really a few out there which have a good shot at it. In the DeFi world, right, what we've got Ethereum, we've got Solana, BSC has been getting traction, and there's people talking about other ones, but it's pretty much those three at the moment which have a lot of the users and the attention. Now, people say a lot of things about the other two, but um, I would say that in the Solana world, like things are fast, things are, I would say, sufficiently decentralized for it to meet the criteria of nobody can control my money. Um, and nobody can make decisions for me. I think if we can achieve that and meet that goal, then that's the main thing. And yeah, I think that all L1s should focus on just, just being that place. And if you can provide the right developer tools, like people will come and people will start building on it. 
And it's really up to the app developers and the, the app developers and whatever to, to go and build the use cases, right? It's the L1's job to be that solid foundation and it's everyone else's job to go and build cool stuff that's useful. Um, so nobody's going to build cool stuff that's useful if the foundation is is like quicksand. Um, so yeah, it's it's important to have a solid foundation. So yeah, also I mean, if the layer one tries to build everything, you end up in the same kind of problem. Yep. <laughs> I think Consensus did a lot of good work for Ethereum, but also like MetaMask is the main wallet that people use, and it's not great and is innovating at a pretty slow pace. Same thing with Infura and and like Etherscan. Despite like those are kind of the standards. If there were like teams that were like hungry, they would move a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. You as a founder, do you guys like see the the growth right now? Are you like in grow as fast as you can mode? Or are you like let's build product, let's like iterate and, and kind of like um, zero in on, on like the use case? Yeah, well, I mean, for us right now, uh, we've we've had a few things happening in the last month, shall we say, right? So we had uh, before the token launch. Uh, we were just focused on building out some basic integrations. So hooking up with Mango, Orca, Serum Pools, being able to show you, you know, what's happening on your dashboard. Okay, that's a very basic MVP um, and that's something that we can get out there. Number two is, um, you know, we, we had a token launch and the idea behind the token is it's a way to uh, create user stickiness. And one of the things like getting back to my previous comments about being that place which has users' attention, having a token certainly helps achieve that. So that sort of furthers our goal of being this place that has the user's attention. And once you have their attention, well, they're going to be doing stuff on your platform. So there's all of these different productive things which you can do, which can you know, uh, pay a fee or earn fees, and then that goes back to token holders and you have a closed loop system there. So for us at the moment, we're still kind of in the build phase. Um, you know, when we're, we're just connecting with all of these different projects, like probably most projects on Solana right now have a private group with us. To, to talk about like integration in some way. And, you know, what does that mean? Well, it just means just being that place that, you know, we can at least get information from these different contracts and display it for the user. You know, that's sort of where we're at right now. So probably the next couple of weeks, months, just focused on integrations and these sorts of things. After that, it, it's, it's more about this value accrual, right? So, you know, the different fee paying things, what would people pay a fee for? What are they willing to pay a fee for? Um, once you have their attention, are they willing to, to use your service to, to do something else, which maybe they could do elsewhere? But the point is that they're with you right now. They're not elsewhere. So, you know, that you need to be able to make sure that, um, you know, you can be able to monetize that and, uh, and, and get on top of it. So, for us, yeah, the sort of the value accrual stuff is maybe a, a later stage, so probably two months from now or something. But, um, yeah, for us right now, it's just about these integrations. It's getting coverage of the ecosystem and, uh, yeah, just being that place that, uh, that everyone wants to be in Solana. Awesome. That, that's, a, that's a great vision. It's a fun, fun time to be at, in that moment in the company's life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as you guys doing these integrations, what kind of like there's there's a hackathon going on like what would you like want people to work on what is like a missing piece in in the DeFi ecosystem yeah i I always say to the people that are looking to to integrate it's like if you can make our lives easier then that's the best thing um so many of these different platforms they might be uh like they might have a custom api or something which is maybe not in a productive 
you know, production ready state or something like that. So that's probably something which is not going to be easier for us to, to integrate and focus on. But I think that there's a lot of teams out there that are building the useful blocks that we've seen happen on Ethereum before. So like lending protocols, right? I, I want to see more of them. There's a couple of uh, like stablecoin different solutions as well, which I think we can we can sort of grow on, on Solana and have a lot of native uses for that. There's prediction markets coming up. There's NFT marketplaces, which I think is is interesting. I think that's probably a space which can do really well on Solana because NFTs is it captures a different audience to the DeFi people. Um, like we've seen that in the media recently, right? Like people are getting their first taste of crypto buying some JPEG images for like a thousand bucks. I'm joking, of course, but um, <laughs> I think. Uh, Solana being this cheap and fast way for people to be able to do that gives a good opportunity there for builders to like make Solana the NFT place. Um, because yeah, why would you be paying massive fees to be using NFTs? Normal people don't want to do that. Um, you know, new people to crypto, they don't want to do that. So, uh, so yeah, so I think there's a good op- opportunity there. And yeah, like at the end of the day, I don't really know what they will come up with in this, in the latest hackathon. I'm just super pumped to see what it is and whatever it is. We want to be that place that is is integrating that and showing your product to the world. So, like, we have a couple of things that we're working on where um, we might have like a showcase of platforms which can do X functionality, and that might be you know I mentioned lending before, right? And it might be able to show you a bunch of different platforms that are all doing lending, and you know what can they provide you? What are the rates? You know what's happening with them? this kind of stuff and just put it all in one spot. So it's kind of like we want to help these projects get more exposure as well. So I think that's another thing that that would be exciting as well to like try and kickstart them and just put them in front of an audience. Because at the moment, it's kind of like, hey, guys, come use my product. Uh, You've never heard of me. I came into existence a week ago. That's about it. Hope you find my website. But if you're actually like on this one place step and then we're exposing people to that, then Maybe we can help increase the traction in Solana ecosystem. Yeah, I'm 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 super excited with the hackathon too. Like I think we um it's double the number of registrations since last time. It doesn't mean that there's seven thousand Rust devs out there. <laughs> but I think if there's if there's somebody in crypto that can write a lick of code, I think they've we they've heard about the Solana hackathon. So we wanna see what people accomplish. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. Are, are you guys um since I, I find that like folks that started in Bitcoin first uh, tend to be way more receptive to Rust than uh, people that are coming from Ethereum. Um, what, what's kind of your impression on contract development or like smart contract development? Yeah, I think certainly Rust has a long way to go in terms of the dev tooling and the support, um, you know, documentation, these sorts of things. Certainly one thing Ethereum's done well is it has a lot of those tools that are already built out. Uh, so if you're like a new dev to the ecosystem, like you can, like there's all of these different things which which you can go and look at and, and use every day in your workflow. Not quite there yet for for a lot of, you know, what's happening in, in the Solana ecosystem. But A, it is getting built and B, it's still early days. You know, Ethereum's been around for, for quite a while and Solana is newer. So yeah, I think it will eventually get there. I think uh, it also puts a barrier to entry for quality on Solana. So what we've seen with sort of BSC being EVM compatible, you just see a lot of copy pastes, right? 
And there's a lot of projects which like change a logo, go put it on another chain and, hey, presto, I just launched a project. (laughs) Solana is kind of immune to that because of the rust barrier. So you have to level up if you're going to build something on Solana, which I think is probably a good thing. And it means that the people that are doing stuff on Solana probably need to think about things a lot more, which is great. And yeah, the quality of the projects rises. So yeah, I think that the dev tools will get there. Um, You know, we've certainly, uh, you know, my co-founder, you know, Aaron Zero V, he's he's been uh, getting stuck into it. He didn't know Rust beforehand, taught himself, you know, long-term C++ developer. So I think, you know, it's, it's welcoming for people, you know, from that perspective is that, look, if you know some C++, you can probably get into Rust and then you can just start making cool stuff on Solana. It's, it's fairly straightforward, I guess. You've just got to maybe do a little bit more work than, um, than a Solidity tutorial of which there are many. Um, so, uh, but that'll come in time. That was, yeah, that was an unexpected result of this, that this like barrier to entry filtered out um, for really high quality. And we were pleasantly surprised. Um, that was a key part to early Bitcoin days too, that this like understanding that you need to go build these like optimized GPU systems. The people that were willing to do that were not like your typical day-to-day like people just seeking to make a buck, yeah. right? They actually understand like PCI buses and things like that. And yeah. like go go through the, right? Like I, I think that that's really important to building a community. Like for folks that are like out there building stuff, you know, focus on quality. Like first, <laughs> you can always optimize for quantity later. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, and it's also good for the early people that have that skill to be incentivized to like be the first ones to go in there and build something cool, right? So, you know, there is a, um, there's a high ROI for the time that you spend doing something in this space. Like it, you, know, you use the Bitcoin mining perspective, right? Like there is a high ROI if you put in the effort to understand these, you know, command line Bitcoin mining algos like back in the day, your, your time was well spent doing that. Um, I think the same is true for learning how to make a DAP your time productivity wise versus something else that you could be doing, like the ROI for this is way higher. So I think certainly have a look at it because there's probably not too many other things that would have such a good use of your productive time. Yeah, for sure. I think this is kind of the the highest leverage software you can write right now are smart contracts. (laughs) Yeah. are you are you worried at all about like the the stacking of risk between like all of these protocols? Yeah, well, I mean, in my previous days at my last company with remittances, like we we built six exchanges, we launched thirteen stablecoins, we built a our own router, like all of these different things um, between these different chains. You know, having our own nodes things going down at the 2am and who's on to fix it. Oh, you know, we're asleep. Right. And the person is not awake for another six hours and users around the world are getting mad because things are not working. So yeah, like those problems, one of the cool things is that if you're building in this space, there's maybe less of them or um, like a lot of the backend infrastructure is kind of outsourced to the blockchain itself, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. So that's what I appreciate a lot about this space is the ability to build these things that are fairly lightweight and it's yeah you don't have to be worried that things are going to go down in the middle of the night obviously still you know building a rust contract which custodies people's money that's high risk 
you know, and it, it could all disappear tomorrow. So I think for us, we kind of want to focus on building on top of things which already exist and finding the value-added mechanisms there, which are kind of a, a light lift. That's at least our strategy for the moment is that if we get too stuck into looking at building our own, you know, ground up rust contracts to do some crazy investment strategy. Sure, we could do that, but I think our time is probably more productively spent elsewhere at the moment. And it's a lot less stress um, when you're trying to grow at the moment. Like growth in the early stages is like, you've got to be pumping stuff out. You've got to have things to be able to show. And that probably doesn't mean spending the next four months building a Rust program and then takes another two months to get audited and even then, it's not really a surefire thing, right? Like, it could <laughs> disappear tomorrow. So, yeah, we're, we're, I'm, it, we're weary of it, but we kind of want to focus on the areas which don't involve that high level of risk. Yeah, that, that's that's a, a, a good strategy. I think, like, what I found that's really important in, in like, any kind of, like, development is how quickly you ship product and iterate. and. Yep. You know, this isn't every Silicon Valley startup book, <laughs> like, you know, ship as fast as you can, listen to your customers, iterate, <laughs> do it again. I wonder if like a lot of what has to do with like adoption in the space is this ability for like founders like yourself to have almost, you know, zero level of support that they need to provide. Like once you ship it, it works and doing it at a global scale. Like I wonder how much of the crypto adoption is just driven by that, that ability to iterate. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, probably Andre has, has good comments on this as well from his blogs, but I think uh, the ability to ship something and then it kind of just runs is really cool. Um, you cut out a lot of that maintenance, overhead, time, DevOps, backends, all this kind of stuff, which is just an impediment to growth, right? So if you can just get something out there, okay, it's something to build upon, ship it, it's done, build the next one, you know, iterate on it. I think that's a good strategy for like smaller teams. Like for us, we're only three people, right? So we can't be building everything on day one. So especially for smaller teams, if you can reduce the workload, that's a good idea. And this has never, I think, existed for finance, for money. Right. Like I, I think all the previous cycles of, of innovation and finance were driven by much bigger firms like banks. Right. Like they came out of like traditional firms with some innovative people there. But this startup engine um, is pretty cool to see it in a new space. Yeah, I think like usually you can't iterate fast in the finance world because like the legacy systems are just massive impediments. Right. So even if you're. Uh, oh, cool, I'm some fintech app and my app can do all of this cool stuff. Okay, well, you can't actually do that cool stuff because in order to really do anything, you need a banking license. By the way, that's $50 million. By the way, it takes two years to get. By the way, it depends on the different countries and all these different arcane systems. So yeah, massive impediment. And it means that the only people that can really play in that space are the incumbents. And what's their incentive? Like they own the infrastructure. Why would they bother... (laughs) doing anything else you know, yeah. we, in the remittance world like you know western union owns 180 countries or 200 countries for cash outs like why would they bother building something different they're the only game in town um so i think in the DeFi world like you you can just iterate way faster because you don't have any of these problems 
Um, and uh, yeah, there's no people that are just these gatekeepers, which are just annoying and horrible to work with. If we could just do this for like healthcare and education, man, the world would just like the entire world would go to the moon. <laughs> I think Khan Academy is the future, right? Like, why do why do people need to spend so much money? Like going to a school, like you go to a school, and it's maybe you, you probably your particular school in your particular geography probably statistically doesn't have the best teachers in the world, right? So why don't you use a system that, you know, selects for the best and then displays that to people and then that's your education system. So, I, yeah, I really appreciate what's going on with Khan Academy. I think that's the way to scale you know, that, that whole old world because, yeah, I mean, everyone going to a school for 12 years and sitting in a classroom and everyone looking at the front and there's a, a whiteboard and you write stuff in a pen and paper, like that's 200 years old system. It was made in Prussia for Prussian soldiers, uh, you know, to essentially help the state to, uh, you know, in, enforce Look what happens to them. solidarity. Yeah. What happened to them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's got to be a better way. Yeah, I agree. That and like healthcare, like it, it's just so frustrating how, terrible it is like and you know especially over the last year you saw it just fail all over the world <laughs> yeah i think some places like it, the, the easier you can make it the better um you know in my time in hong kong hong kong has a very good um health system private too where there's like 86 insurers in a geography of about seven eight million people so and that's because to get a insurance license is fairly easy and for an individual person you can get like elite coverage for like $1,500 for male mid-20s in a fairly high-risk category. So, I mean, that's pretty good, right, when you compare that to what governments sort of charge. And why is that? Well, it's because a lot of people can innovate. They can go and build stuff. Yeah. Like there's 86 different, you know, licenses that you can uh, or people that have a license that can go and build stuff. So, yeah, I think it's kind of like this um, if you get more people building on it, you get the network effects, right, and we see that in crypto where the more people building on things, they can build on top of each other, they can borrow from each other. But if you have systems like legacy finance where there's just like one guy who's running it, that's just going to be bad. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, if somebody is like ambitious enough to do like a self-insured pool model during this hackathon where you just like get get 10 million people around the world to like pay for each other's healthcare. That that would be so awesome. That would that would be like blow my mind. Um, <laughs> I I find that like like during DeFi summer you saw like this explosion of tokens and Ethereum. Ninety nine percent of them were outright scams. But like the really cool part about it was this like ma- massive formation of capital and social networks and humans around the world around this idea. If you can pull that off with something useful like healthcare, I, I think that could really revolutionize how, how that industry behaves. But it's it's tough, right? Like <laughs> you need like a thousand founders to try it for one of them to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, pleasure talking to you, uh, George. I mean, it, you're like one of the, like in my mind, it's always like finding those founders that are willing to eat glass for like a couple of years to like build a product. That's the hardest part in the space. And, and like, we're lucky to have you. It sounds like you've eaten some glass building remittance businesses before. Yep. You kind of know know how how much work it takes to build a successful company. <laughs> yeah, done done the rounds. No, I, I'm super pumped to to be you know where we're at at the moment and 
just just working with cool people as well. Um, and like you can just talk to to people that are just frog images on the internet, and that's all it needs to be. Like you don't need to to focus on all these other stuff and you know work contracts and you know blah blah blah. It's like anyone can contribute from anywhere in the world that has a cool idea. And you can put it forth and, hey, maybe it gets implemented or you can go and implement it yourself. Um, so, yeah, just the ability to work with cool people, uh, I really appreciate this time around. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, same. All right. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.